Uh, but even on the hike in, there were just bulls were starting to scream at us. We were making our final climb, kind of right as the sun was going down, and the bulls were just lighting up. Uh, there was even one point where, you know, I was heading in with trekking poles, my bow was strapped to my pack, and it just got so loud and thick and nasty that, uh, that I threw everything down, pulled my bow off the pack, and started to move in on this one bull that was screaming right down a ridge from us. Uh, but as I tried to move in, the wind was just terrible. Uh, we were also we were running out of light to get to camp. There was there was not a good way to make that happen right then in that moment, and so just decided to back out. Let him he would hopefully be there the next day, uh, and just moved on. Got to camp, and even as we set up camp and we're sitting there eating dinner, like there are bulls in three different directions from camp screaming at us. Uh, it was magical. I was beyond like okay. I came at the right time. This is going to be way different than last year. Here we go. Welcome to Hunting Stories, brought to you by Late to the Game Outdoors. Everyone loves a good story, and hunters have some of the best. Our whole mission is to collect and share great stories from hunters just like you to entertain and keep you motivated all year long. So, pull up a seat around the campfire, because here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hunting Stories podcast. I'm your host as always, Eric, and today we're talking about my 2020 Colorado elk hunt. Uh, so if you've uh, listened to the podcast since the beginning, way back episode two or three, uh, I think I jumped on here with my, my friend and cameraman, Ben, and we talked about uh, 2019, which was the first time I ever hunted out of state. Uh, it was totally DIY, just information overload um but was a crazy awesome adventure got into some elk and uh and i knew that man unless i drew an arizona elk tag which should happen in the next couple of years uh, i wanted to go back to, to colorado and um i have a very cool wife who is very understanding and uh basically just lets me go hunt elk every year whether i have a tag locally or not so 2020 started with a whole bunch of debate. So last year we, we got into some elk, but didn't have a ton of encounters. Uh, we went early, they weren't screaming. Um, and so I, I just initially had the debate, do I want to go back to the same spot uh, where I know there are elk, but it's Colorado. They have all the elk. Uh, maybe I should go somewhere different. Ultimately landed on uh, just going back to the same general area. It's, it's a big wilderness. There's a lot of mountains to explore. And I was committed to trying some things tactically differently and, and just seeing if we could get it done. And we did, in fact, get into a lot more action, which we'll get into in just a second. This year, some of the differences, if you're not familiar with Colorado's elk seasons, they do this weird thing. I'm sure they have their reasons. They are smart uh, biologist type people. But uh, their archery tag is open all, all September long. And then right in the middle, like right smack dab week three of that hunt, their muzzleloader season overlaps. So you've got archery hunters and muzzleloader hunters out there for that one week, usually right around the kickoff of the rut. Uh, and I nothing against muzzleloader hunters. I just don't want to share the woods with them if I don't have to. So last year I went the week before muzzleloader. It was a little early. It was a little warm. Well, until the cold front moved in and froze us out. Uh, and there was just dead silent elk, virtually no bugling whatsoever. So this year I decided to go on the backside. So we, we hiked in the last day of muzzleloader season. So as those guys are coming out, we're heading in. 
other layer of insanity or just crazy unexpectedness. Uh, my buddy Josh from Dialed In Hunter, we've had him on the podcast a couple times. Great dude, great hunter. He, uh, I mean, going way back when I first started planning my first Colorado elk hunt, he and I were just talking, swapping stories. And you know how hunters do where you're like both kind of being cagey about information and spots and where you plan to go. Uh, somehow we were talking about it and got to like, through the conversation, we started to think we're having a, we're talking about the same area. And so I just kind of let him like, Hey, here's where I'm looking. He said, yep, that's exactly where I went a couple years ago. Uh, so crazy small world. Interesting that two Arizona boys would look at a map of all of Colorado and land in the same wilderness in the same unit. So this year, his plan was to go high country mule deer hunting. He has been bitten by that bug. Uh, he's been successful at it. And uh, from the pictures and video that I see coming from it, uh, I will probably let him talk me into going and trying that with him sometime very soon. Uh, but he was going to be in the next unit over. So kind of this whole mountain range, uh, the, the ridge line is the dividing line of these two units. And so I had an archery tag for uh, elk in this one unit. He had a deer tag just over the mountain in the next unit. And he came out very beginning of the season with his brother. Uh, and they had a few spots mapped out that they were going to check. And they spent three, maybe four days in one area and just, uh, man, just didn't turn anything up. Said so they kept running into bucks in my unit on their way to their unit. Uh, but just once they got over the mountain, looking on the other side, there was nothing there. Uh, so they were hiking out and they were going to head over to a spot closer to where I was planning to hunt elk. And uh, his brother jacked up his, his ankle, his foot. Uh, he, was, he was hobbling along. It was a bad deal. So they actually called their hunt early. And Josh called me on the way home from their hunt uh, saying, hey, man, this is, this is crazy, but uh, could I tag along and come back with you uh, when you go on your elk hunt and I'll just hike up and over the mountain to this other spot that I wanted to check for deer? To which I said, absolutely. Why not? The more the merrier. And so he was there with us and we decided we were going to go in together and we wanted to camp higher. So last year, I think one of the big failures is I lost a lot of hunting time to trudging up and down the mountain all the time because we camped lower by a, by a river where I knew there would be water because I'm a desert boy. So I'm constantly worried about running out of water where in Colorado, that's not really an issue usually. And so decided that I wanted to camp up high where the elk are rather than traveling up and down the mountain every day. We were just going to camp high, stay high, and just kind of be in amongst them. And so we we hiked on in that first day. We camped up right at about 11,000 feet, which is just stupid high, uh, but <laughs> adjusted to it after a couple days. It was not bad. Uh, but even on the hike in, there were just bulls were starting to scream at us. We were making our final climb kind of right as the sun was going down, and the bulls were just lighting up. Uh, there was even one point where... You know, I was heading in with trekking poles. My bow was strapped to my pack, and it just got so loud and thick and nasty that uh, that I threw everything down, pulled my bow off the pack, and started to move in on this one bull that was screaming right down a ridge from us. Uh, but as I tried to move in, the wind was just terrible. Uh, we were also we were running out of light to get to camp. There was there was not a good way to make that happen right then in that moment, and so just decided to back out. Let him he would hopefully be there the next day, uh, and just moved on got to camp. And even as we set up camp and we're sitting there eating dinner, like there are bulls in three different directions from camp screaming at us. Uh, it was magical. I was beyond like, okay, I came at the right time. This is going to be way different than last year. 
here we go. So the first morning, Josh got up and, and left pre-dawn because he was going to, you know, he still had almost another thousand feet, I think, to go up and over the mountain to where, to his unit to hunt deer. And, uh, and Ben and I just like got ourselves together and decided to kind of move kind of side hill, move across some benches, wait for the thermals to switch, and then sort of theoretically move down in on where the bulls were. Uh, saw some elk immediately, like it, the sun was just coming up. We were at camp. And I don't know if this happens to every other hunter. Maybe it's just my digestive system. It's almost always when I'm finally like, okay, I've had some breakfast, I've had some coffee, getting my stuff together. I am just at the point where I'm ready to throw my pack on and start hunting. And my body tells me that I've got something to do before uh, I can begin hunting. So that happened. And as I'm going, just walking away from camp a little bit to find some privacy, uh, sure enough, I spook up these three or four cows that were moving on down this drainage. And while I was doing my business, I'm pretty sure I heard the bull who must have been with them uh, popping sticks and catching up with them. So it was it was a great, great start to the uh, first morning. And honestly, that was sort of the rest of the day was somewhat disappointing. Like the, the bugling sort of stopped after the morning and never picked up again as as the night went on. I was trying, uh, at least for the first few days, I thought, I, I won't call if much, if at all, um, because these bulls have been called at for, for three weeks already now. And just thought I, they're around, they're making noise. If I can just hear them move it, like I'll just try to kind of spot and stalk or hear and stalk was my, my intention. And, uh, man, there, so just walking around plenty of sign, plenty of everything just never, never ran into them. Uh, and we, we covered a lot of ground that first day. So we came back, we, we met Josh back at camp that night, and he told me that he was watching an absolute rut fest on the other side of the mountain uh, in the unit I couldn't hunt in. My tag's not good there. But uh, he had phone scope video of just, he said there were seven really good sized bulls just running around in this drainage, screaming at each other and fighting and uh, chasing cows. And it was just everything an elk hunter would want just over the mountains from us, and there was literally nothing I could do about it. But he also said that on his way back over, looking down into our unit, he saw another herd with a good bull uh, just kind of right above tree line, feeding out into a meadow. And so I, I made a mental note, like, okay, they're there. It's probably the one that we, one of the ones we heard screaming the first night. Gonna head back to there the next day. Not immediately, but it, it was kind of like my fallback. Okay, we'll move around. We'll see what the elk are doing. And then, you know, by late afternoon, if nothing else, we'll just kind of park ourselves up by that and see if they come out to feed. And so we, the, the, if the first day we kind of went low from camp, the second day we stayed up at 11 and pushed even further up because it seemed like, I mean, for whatever reason, if it just the pressure that the elk were moving up rather than down into thicker, nastier stuff, at least a lot of the elk in this area were pushing up above tree line, like into mountain goat territory, just eating grass in the wide open where nothing could get to them without them seeing. So we, uh, we were walking through just kind of timbered bedding areas, hoping we'd, we'd come upon some or, or spook some up that we could at least, you know, maybe regroup and, and make a play on. And uh, that was the day actually where, uh, where some arrows were loosed. Uh, as we were walking through, and I, I don't know how I picked this out because it wasn't moving or anything, but I just look and there's a grouse on the ground 
33 yards from us, just, just standing there. And it was as if he realized we were there and his plan, instead of like flushing out into a tree, was to just stay dead still, play statue, hope we go away. Uh, so I had, I had two arrows in my quiver that had, uh, d- uh, didn't have a broadhead on them. They were there just in case I ran into a grouse. And so I thought, well, shoot, he's 33 yards. Uh, in hindsight, I should have closed the distance a little bit, but I, I was, he, it was so weird to see him just standing there. I thought, well, you know, my top pin set for 30, he's at 33. I'll just, I'll take the shot. And so I, I drew and you know tried to do all the normal stuff and <laughs> execute a good shot and i sent this arrow it, it i didn't uh, i didn't think i could miss any closer until i sent my second arrow which is i guess is a spoiler alert uh but the like the crook of his neck like where there's that little bend when it goes from his wing and back to his head i watched the arrow just sail through that little notch and bury itself in a log behind him and even that did not spook him out. He just stay, he doubled down on the stay still, act like a statue method. And so I was chuckling, but pulled out my second grouse arrow. Thought, okay, this we can we can do this. I'm not going to miss him a second time. Uh, and so this time I same thing, just executed the shot. And somehow in my head, I didn't decide I was going to aim a little right since I missed left. I was just going to focus and and try to drill him. And and this thing missed like barely to his right, like across his right wing, so close that the fletchings actually hit him and bounced off. It, it kicked the arrow out wide, buried into the log. He then did flush out and fly. And and I went and, of course, thoroughly checked. There were no feathers, no blood, no nothing. It just, the fletchings just bounced off of him. And uh, I could not get those arrows back. They had buried themselves deep in this log I spent a while pulling on them and, and messing with them and just decided, well, those two are now part of the forest. And so there are still two uh, Black Eagle zombie slayers in a log up on a mountain in Colorado. If you come upon that, you uh, can can tell me that you know exactly where I've been hunting elk. Anyway, uh, after the the excitement of the grouse, we uh, <laughs> we just kept making our, our way through and found some, we found several wallow areas that they were just like, they were stomped on, there was clear elk activity, uh, but nothing fresh, like nothing that smelled bad, nothing with pee in it. They, they clearly weren't hanging around there, at least right in that moment or in the last few days. And so we worked our way back up uh, steeper, up above treeline, uh, did some kind of side hill across some pretty sketchy stuff where those moments where you're grabbing on to like clumps of grass, my, my camera guy, Ben, made me lose it at some point when he saw me just like desperately clinging to this clump of grass so I don't slide down this steep mountain. Uh, and it's the the old black sheep quote by the late, great Chris Farley, where he says, hold strong little roots. Um, probably had to be there. But uh, these are the things that are funny in the middle of the, the wilderness. And so we, we skirted across all this and then got up above what I thought was the, the clearing that Josh was talking about when he said he saw the elk. And so... Uh, we, we kind of got up there and I was looking down and I could see sort of a couple different clearings where they, they could come out uh, from their bed to feed. Uh, it also let me, I could like way off in the distance, I could see a couple other openings and I thought this will be great. I'll, you know, it's the last couple hours of daylight. I'll just sit right here. Maybe if something comes out here, I've got a shot. Uh, if nothing else, I could glass farther away and see where elk are moving and, you know, kind of mark them on my, my onyx and, and get over there the next day. 
And as we're sitting there, uh, cloud cover moves in. It's it's getting a little darker, and and I hear like a little behind me. And I look back, and and my buddy Ben is signaling me that he's he sees something coming right through. And so he was at a slightly different angle where he could uh, see before I could. And then this cow comes meandering out, uh, just just bit, like she shows herself, and then kind of dips back into the woods, and I don't see her again for a little while. And then maybe half an hour later. It could have been the same cow or a totally different cow. Uh, I hear some movement and some some rustling in, in the timber. And sure enough, here comes this cow. And she just meanders right through this path where I thought they would go. And she comes across this clearing. No idea I'm there. Uh, I'm up on this hillside, kind of like I have, I have a bush behind me obscuring my outline. But it's just like wide open from me to her. And she passes by right at 63 yards and I've got arrow knocked, my, my release is clipped in, I'm ready to go because I'm just assuming and hoping that surely another couple cows and then their boyfriend is going to come on through. And if they take that same path, like I've already ranged it, it's, I mean, that is a makeable shot. It's going to happen. And sadly, she was all by herself. She, she walked on through, disappeared back into some other timber, nothing came in behind her. And we sat there again until until it was just about dark and thought, man, that, okay, if I had an either sex tag like I did in 2019, I would have happily smoked that cow and we would have been eating backstraps that night. But sadly, based on some, some changes in, in the regs for 2020, I had just a bull only tag and there was nothing I could do about that. So back to camp, talking to Josh and I told him the whole story and showed him on the map where I was sitting and he said, oh, no, 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 that's not the clearing. They were, they were another few hundred feet above you, way above all tree lot, like just way up there, mountain goat country. Uh, and they're hanging out there for some reason. So Josh had now spent two full days, like full, full days, uh, glassing for deer, not seeing a single, not even seeing a doe, just no deer, nothing but elk rut fest over where he's looking. Which is so ironic. Uh, but he even that day went down, like instead of just glassing about midday, he dropped down another thousand feet into the timber and was starting to walk through, checking for fresh tracks and thinking maybe he'd spook up a deer. Didn't see anything. Hiked himself a thousand feet back up to the ridge line, over back onto our side, another thousand feet down to our camp. He he worked hard. Uh, and then he decided like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm done. There are no deer here. I'm going to consider my hunt over. He stayed the night that night and then he agreed because uh, he's just a great guy. He said, well, how about, you know, you've been trying the silent thing moving through. It's like, I'll, what if I call for you the morning? Like, we'll just, we'll hike around. We'll call. If anything answers back, we'll follow it. And so that's what we did. Very gracious of him. Uh, and we did, we got one bull, one bull way off in the distance uh, to sound off uh, to his bugles. And so we went and went in the direction of that and chased him. And we, we came up to what we're pretty sure was the bed he was in that day. It was very fresh, uh, freshly kicked out, you know, an elk had recently been there. And since it was in the exact direction we heard a bugle, we'll assume that's where he was. And then we, we just kind of tracked where, where we thought he would have gone. And we went up through there and took this big loop through this, I mean, just crazy, awesome bedding area there was nothing there. Uh, there was some some semi-fresh bear scat, which was awesome, but we didn't turn him up either. And so 
we uh, we made it all the way back to camp about lunchtime, and at that point, it was time to pack up camp. Josh was gonna head all the way back to the trailhead and go home. Uh, ben and I uh, were doing what we did last year, basically, where we come in with half a week's worth of food because we assume we'll either uh, we'll have gotten something and we'll be out, or there the elk activity will be really terrible and we'll be wanting to relocate. Or, if nothing else, since we're filming the whole thing, we've got batteries to charge, uh, memory cards to dump onto a hard drive. Like, there's just kind of all this midweek maintenance, especially when you're filming a hunt. So, we were all going to hike all the way back out, about five or so miles to the truck. Josh was going to go home. Ben and I were going to do all that stuff and resupply our food. And then we were going to move our camp uh, down the mountain a bit. So, there's the there was this great spot on our route out uh, right at about 10,000 feet where not only is it a little bit easier to breathe but it's just this there's this great kind of knob right off adjacent to where we were camping where you could glass up the mountain in a whole bunch of different directions and see all these little clearings where theoretically you know at the end of the day first thing in the morning you'll see them out feeding as they make their way to their bedding area and so we get all the way back to the truck and that's when I discover something that had never honestly crossed my mind uh, that a mouse or family of mice, I don't know, had gotten into the bed of my truck, Uh, which sounds like, why wouldn't you think of that? Uh, I have a hard shell locking tonneau cover on the bed of my truck. And I had a couple coolers in there, obviously. There was a bunch of food in the coolers, but because everything was going to be locked up and sealed, I, I left, you know, kind of all my dry goods sitting in a box. Ben had uh, some clothes and his extra food, like stuffed in a backpack in the bed. And so as we're, as I'm opening up the truck and starting to mess with stuff and, and dump my pack and, and Ben's starting to move through his backpack and he's like, what, it, like, what am I looking at here? Is, is that, does that look like poop to you? And I look down on like kind of all over the top of his backpack and I'm like, that, I don't know what else it would be. That looks a lot like mouse crap. And sure enough, as he got into his pack, there's, there's mouse pee on stuff. There's holes that have been chewed in his clothes. And then a whole bunch of his food bags had been chewed into. And so I turned to my box of dry goods and my, like, my big gallon Ziplocs with each day's worth of food. And, and sure enough, two of those had been eaten into. There was an entire sleeve of almonds that the thing ate there was a full like half of a solid like 400 calorie bar had been eaten uh like this thing went to town and obviously was leaving poop everywhere with it so it it was astounding and disgusting and we're i'm just picking through all the like okay this is gone this is like this was left untouched we can still use i'm sorting through all the like fully tainted disgusting food I had like this bag of like, eh, it could probably be wiped off, but I don't really feel good about it food. And then I had the like, okay, he, he didn't go anywhere near this. There's nothing on this. This is good food. And so after both of us went through that, uh, our food supply for the rest of the week was dwindled a bit. So we, we knew that we, we had to be home by end of day Sunday, and this was now Wednesday. So we theoretically could have, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to hunt. And then as long as we're coming back out Sunday morning, we'll still get home on time. Uh, but with all the like all the food damage that we had to go through, it whittled our supply to like, okay, we have we have Thursday and Friday, we'll be fine. Uh, we'll we could scrape together probably enough food to like have some breakfast Saturday morning, but we're gonna need to 
get out of there uh, or we're going to have to seriously ration our food. So we got all that junk figured out and hiked our way back into camp. Josh, Josh took off to head home. We get back in, we set up camp, we sleep very, very well because we're exhausted. Uh, that evening, uh, I spent some time glassing, didn't, didn't turn anything up. Um, and so the next morning we woke up and I got out there right at first light and started glassing. And the plan was that if I, if I didn't glass anything up that we absolutely had to go chase, uh, we were just going to head up Suck Mountain that we came to know and hate in 2019. And we hadn't actually been up on that bench area where we had most of our elk encounters in 2019. So sure enough, I, I didn't turn anything up glassing. Uh, there was a hunter. It was just obviously a hunter because the bugle was precisely the same every time from this one area not far from camp. Uh, we, did, it was it was just clear enough that we weren't going to go chase that, and so we got our stuff together, went up Suck Mountain. It was every bit as sucky and somehow seemed worse than we remembered from 2019. Uh, but up on the top of it, there's there's just this long series of benches. And I had a couple wallows marked from the year before and was just feeling good and confident that it was, it was like kind of like a spot in my back pocket. Like, okay, we had tried all this new territory and it had worked out. We had gotten into elk. Things were good. Uh, okay, well, if that doesn't pan out, surely over on Suck Mountain, we'll have some good luck. And it was, it was the saddest thing I've seen in terms of returning to an elk spot because one of the two wallows was bone dry. Uh, the one that wasn't dry had looked like it it didn't even have fresh tracks near it, much less pee or anything. Uh, and we just kind of weaved in and around and crisscrossed these benches over and over, following every, following every game trail I could find and didn't turn up a single, even piece of scat that seemed like it was from that fall. Like the, the elk must've just moved out of there really early and, and hadn't been back. And so as we, we moved all the way across and, and I had this route mapped from last year where it was basically a game trail up through this Aspen Grove. That wasn't easy, but it was the least bad way up and down the mountain. Anyway, we, we ended up way on kind of the other side and there, were, uh, there was supposed to be some water, at least according to the topo map, and we were both just about almost out. So we got to where the water is supposed to start and none of it is there. Uh, but as we looked down, I thought like, man, that doesn't, that looks like a pretty easy uh, walk. And so we, we walked down this way and, uh, and sure enough, like before we know it, I'm like, Oh, that I'm looking at the map. I'm like, Hey, we're, we're down the steep part. Uh, like we, we just, we just finished uh, suck mountain and that didn't suck at all. And, and sure enough, as we were like getting down to the bottom of that and I'm marking for future reference, like, okay, well, this is definitely the spot up this mountain. Uh, we pick up this horse trail that we had no idea would be there. Like it's not marked on the map. It's just a, a pretty well-used horse trail, a lot of deer tracks through there, of course. Um, and I'm just, I was, we were laughing to ourselves about, man, we've for now two years, we have just killed ourselves getting up and down this awful mountain. And here over on the other side of it, there's this like fairly gradual slope and a horse track that leads you most of the way there. Uh, so proof that, uh, you should, you should keep exploring and, uh, and more lessons in learning to read a topo map. Anyway, we, we get back to camp. Uh, we, we did finally find some water. 
filtered, loaded up all our stuff, uh, got back to camp when they were honestly probably still another hour or so of hunting light. Uh, But again, we're just beat. And I thought, man, we're back here. I want to just glass some more, see what I can turn up. And so sitting on that spot, I I glassed up. I'm just looking all over, like all across this range, because I I have pretty great visibility from this spot. And I see some more elk over uh, four miles away as the crow flies and way above 12,000 feet on this other mountain face, there's these elk just feeding across up high. Uh, and then directly above us, like above higher where where we had seen them uh, or where Josh had seen them, sure enough, there's this big bull and a big herd that he had amassed way up there. I thought, okay, well, they're up there. We could, we could go back there and uh, if, if we need to. And then I, I, as I'm sweeping across, I, I come to this clearing that is much closer uh, and I even had a, a POI from before I had ever been there. Where I thought that looks like a good spot. I had just never made it all the way over there to check it. And I see this lone bull just kind of feeding across the edge of this meadow right over there. And I think, okay, that's, that's our boy. Like we are chasing him tomorrow. This was the end of Thursday. So based on our food supply, Friday was like our last big full hunting day. And Saturday was either going to be, okay, let's, let's, you know, fill up on elk steak and pack this thing out of here. Uh, or we just kind of eat breakfast, pack up camp and go. So uh, Thursday night, uh, restless night of sleep while I dreamt of that giant bull. And I was just hoping that like, okay, he seemed like he was by himself. So it's possible he'd run off and try to find some cows. Uh, or as long as no pressure moves in, like he'll be right up in that same general area and we'll, we'll hook up with him. And sure enough, as, as, the sun is rising and I'm, I'm sitting out on my glassing point, just trying to hoping to see him again and eating some food. Uh, I see two headlamps come walking up through the clearing next to me uh, and off into the timber. And I think, well, great. Okay, perfect. I don't know if they're heading where I'm going exactly, but now there's, there's pressure in the area. And right behind them is a group of three headlamps that start making their way up through the mountain. And I just like, well, this is perfect. Five hunters, two groups of hunters, and I didn't see exactly where they were going, but you know, when you know when your gut just tells you, like, I, I bet they're going exactly where I'm hoping to go. But uh, I just decided, well, I hadn't, you know, glassed up a different bull in a different spot, and since I don't know exactly where they're going, I might as well just chase after this bull like my plan was originally. And so we, we hike all the way back up the mountain, up above 11,000 feet, we get to this bench, Uh, And then he is kind of where I saw him was you kind of have to crisscross through this drainage and he's off on a different bench. So we stop to have a snack and we hear all this bugling happening, just like lots and lots of bugling. And I I am not the best caller. So this is not to, to speak ill of anyone's calling ability, but especially when you're close enough, there's almost like a you can almost hear the plastic of the bugle tube as the as the bugle finishes, you know. Uh, and I, I swear I'm hearing that as I hear these guys. And they're certainly over in the direction from where this other bull was. Uh, and I think, oh, well, they're, they're, surely they're over there messing around with this bull. And this isn't going to happen. But I decided to just kind of work our way through and, and get over to the spot and see what see what we can see. Maybe we run into these hunters Maybe they're messing around and they chase the bull out and he spits out in front of us. There's a million possibilities. 
So we get over and we're just coming up. Like we work through the drainage. We're just cresting up onto this, this hill. And now I hear bugling behind us, which we didn't pass any hunters, but, but it's not far, like just kind of on the other side of this little drainage we had just crossed. I hear this bugling and, and I would swear I'm hearing so clearly that like plastic bugle tube bugle, uh, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it's something. And so I decided, well, let me not, every other hunter in the world is just going to bugle back at that. So on the off chance that this is a real bowl, uh, let me just do something kind of different. So I send out like just a few little light cow calls and it bugles again. So I'm like, well, this, I mean, okay, still there. I still think it's a hunter bugling at my cow calls, but maybe. Uh, and so rather than like ripping a bugle in his face, I decide I'm going to rake this tree over here. And so I pick up this stick and I am just beating the tar out of this little tree right next to me. Uh, and I just left the calls totally alone. I just figured, okay, if, if this is really a bull, it just heard that there are some cows and then it hears what sounds like a bull raking a tree. Surely he's going to come in. Uh, the wind was good. Let's see. And so I just sat there beating that tree until my arm was sore and never heard another thing. The, the, the didn't come in, uh, hunters didn't show up. Um, I never saw any movement. I, I threw out a couple more little cow calls after I was done raking, it didn't answer. And so I thought, okay, well, that's the end of it. I'm still 97% sure it was a hunter just based on the, the tone of it. But uh, I moved on, went back, kept going in the direction I wanted to go. And uh, now that there had been so much noise and everything, I thought maybe the best place to just let the wood settle down again. Uh, so we picked a spot kind of where we had a high vantage point. There was a, a pretty fresh looking game trail uh, right below us. And so we just sort of posted up for a couple hours and just eat some food, sit quietly, see if anything happens. Nothing did. Uh, and then we kind of started working our way and I, I had marked on onyx the night when i glassed up this bowl like i if, if all you spot and stalk hunters know this this method where you're looking at it through the binos and then you're looking back to your map and you're trying to connect like oh yeah okay i think i see that that thing looks like this thing on the map and so so i marked my best guess as exactly where i saw that bowl walking and so we went over to find that uh and it is like this kind of wide strip of clearing that's remarkably steep like it's on the the face leading up to the bench uh, but it's this opening where he was walking through to feed. And so we went back there and like kind of assessed it and looked at the situation. And we're now getting into the late afternoon. So we just had a, you know, a couple more hours of light left to hunt. And I thought, okay, this is, there's already been so much noise. There's been hunters, there's been bugling. Uh, I'm not super confident in my own bugling. So there was this kind of outcropping, like sort of finger of trees that ran out into basically the middle of this clearing. And so I said, well, let's post up right here, just back up against the timber. We can see kind of both directions of this clearing. Um, the wind should shift at some point and be blowing down below us. And so we'll just sit here. And I don't know if the, I mean, the odds of the same bull walking through the same meadow or maybe slim, but could be a different bull. Just like this, this seems like our best chance. And so we posted up there and watched and at one point I caught some movement and I looked over and got all excited and it was a lone doe who had just fed out into the meadow and she wandered off and did her own thing. And as, as night fell, no elk ever showed up. 
so we we walked our way off that mountain we stopped by the creek on the way to camp and filled up the rest of our water and then we just sat there uh tired but satisfied that we we had done all we could saw more elk than we did the year before that we we chased some elk we uh man we there was a shot opportunity it just needed to have antlers um we spent more hours actually hunting than in 2019 uh learned the mountains better uh it, it was it was a great trip had a great time uh feel good about the effort that we put in there for sure uh, a couple things that I learned coming out of that hunt, because I know I got to wrap this up. I've been talking for a while, at least in this area. I don't know if this is true everywhere, but this is something that I have now observed uh, a few times. Uh, it seems that elk in this spot like to go high to escape pressure. So it, it, you always hear, you know, like, well, hunting pressured elk, you just have to figure out where they go when they feel pressure. And I, th- I feel like there's a lot of information that says like they just go into the the deeper, darker, thicker, nastier stuff. And I'm sure that's true in a lot of places. And I did hear some bugles for, from some thick, nasty stuff. But I kept seeing so many elk up way above tree line, uh, up like almost to the edge of where there stops being any foliage at all. And it's just like nasty scree rock on the way to some massive peak. Uh, they're just up there where there's hundreds of yards of wide open from the last tree to them. And they know there's no way you can get up to them because they'd see you coming. Uh, so I don't even have a good solution for how to hunt elk when they're doing that. Uh, but just a, an idea that maybe if you're in a spot and you keep going down into the deep, dark stuff and you're not finding anything, I don't know, at least spend some time glassing way up high uh, and see if you see them. And then maybe, just maybe, uh, based on the terrain you're looking at, you can find a spot to post up and get in on them. Other thing I learned is a gear thing. Uh, my, my last night, fortunately, praise the Lord. It was the last night. Uh, I, I'd been sleeping pretty well all week. Uh, one thing Ben and I both did between 2019 and this year is we upgraded our sleep systems. So we had, uh, actual inflatable pads with an actual R value, which is an improvement over 2019. Uh, and, and we'd both upgraded to warmer bags. And so even though the combination that this week didn't actually have the, get as cold as 2019 did and we had that better sleep uh much warmer like slept great most of the week except the very last night where somewhere around you know two o'clock i had to get up to pee and then i get back in my tent and something feels a little off as i'm laying down but i don't really think it's the middle of the night i'm groggy and then i just realized like i kept waking up and different parts of me hurt like i would be sleeping on my back I'd wake up and I'd be like, man, my butt freaking hurts. And so I would turn over on my side and I'd sleep a little more and I'd wake up and I'd be like, man, my hip hurts. And so it was somewhere like right as the sun was coming up that I realized like, oh, my pad is definitely deflating underneath me right now. And sure enough, by the time I got out, by the time we ate breakfast, I was packing up. My mattress was half deflated. It had clearly uh, popped a leak, busted a hole. I don't know what went wrong. Uh, It was my third night in that particular spot. I had uh, my tent and a uh, footprint for my tent underneath it. I had swept the area real clean because I'm super paranoid about puncturing a hole in either my pad or in my ultralight tent. So I don't know what went wrong, but it's a Nemo pad uh, and I don't work for Nemo or anything like that. Uh, But I had always heard glorious things about their customer service. But my fear was like, well, it's an air mattress. They'll probably be like, yeah, you, you popped it. You're your fat butt popped the pad. Uh, good luck to you. Uh, 
but I sent it in and sure enough, they, they wrote me back like, yeah, we agree. Uh, it, it popped. We're not sure why it must've been defective. Uh, and unfortunately they were out of stock of that pad, but they issued me a credit for the full retail price of that pad. And unfortunately they were out of stock of just about everything that would <laughs> meet my needs. Uh, so I had to kind of keep watching and keep checking. And eventually a different pad came back in stock that would more than meet what I needed. And it was actually significantly cheaper than the pad that they had reimbursed me for. So I was also able to throw uh, an extra tent that I never thought about getting, but it's like a, it's called, it's their Nemo spike tent, little one person trekking pole supported. It's under two pounds. I'm super excited to, to give that one a try in the very near future. Uh, but they, I mean, they were great when I called into order and like worked that all out. They, they handled it perfectly, sent it out quickly. Yeah. Can't say enough about Nemo and their gear and their, uh, customer service. It's terrific. If you're in the market for, for something new in terms of a sleeping system or shelter, they've got a ton of options. I've been more than impressed every time I've used something of theirs. Okay. Time to wrap it up. I uh, do not know yet what next year's elk season is going to look like, if it'll be in Arizona, if I'll head back to Colorado, if I do head back, I don't even know where I'm going yet, because uh, I am tempted to uh, put in for the unit where Josh was watching all of those bulls run all over the place chasing each other, because that seems like a great place to be hunting. We'll see. I don't know. Either way, Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe. And uh, if you'd be so kind, leave a review uh, based on the way that all these things work. That really helps the podcast uh, be found and get some traction. And uh, I will be back real soon with uh, another tale of hopefully awesome hunting lore. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hunting Stories. And if you want to stay up on what we're doing with the podcast or anything else going on with Late to the Game, go ahead and check us out at latetothegameoutdoors.com or give us a follow on Instagram at latetothegameoutdoors. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.